This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuning in to the new TNN. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. Like, what's up, danger? Like, what's up, danger? Like, what's up, danger? Like, what's up, danger? Made of myself. They fit perfectly. Pop Culture Addicts, welcome back to the new TNN podcast feed. My name is Johnny C, and this is an edition of Top Man, where we try to provide some list-based entertainment for everybody out there. Now, one of the caveats of doing a show like this is sometimes it's really hard for me to rationalize committing myself to having a basically concrete form of evidence that someone could throw back in my face and be like, wait a minute, Johnny. Two years ago, you said the best movie of all time was Star Wars. Now you're saying it's Citizen Kane. What the fuck, man? And and that is a dangerous prospect. And uh, when I came up with the idea for this show, I was like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that because it's such based on emotions and emotions of the time and what I'm feeling in the moment as I'm participating and watching the movie, which I, I will explain. So I, I don't want to ever commit myself to a top li- to a list like that. And then I said, well, Johnny, you don't have to actually technically commit. You could be a little wishy-washy about it. So here's what the fuck I'm saying. I wanted to do like a top 10 comic book movie moments of all time. And I was like, how, again, I didn't want to commit. And how do you define a moment? How do you compare a moment that's technically a three-minute scene to someone yelling something that takes five seconds? You know what I mean? I was like, there's no comparison there. It's not apples to apples. And then I was like, well, you know what, man? Just do like a just do an episode of Top Man that's like my favorite, some of my favorite comic book movie moments. That way, if you miss something, you miss something. And uh, you can always go back and do more. I mean, this this list hopefully continues to grow. And like I said, I might be watching, I don't know, uh, Thor Ragnarok. And I, uh, something hits me hard. And I'm like, oh man, that's so poignant. And then I watch it a year later and it doesn't hit me hard because it's not something that I'm concerned with at a time. You know, I mean, it's the same thing with music, any form of art, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't need to get into all that and explain it to you. You're, you're intelligent enough to get that. So I don't, I don't have a set number for this. I do have a, I brainstormed a list and I was like, okay, I think this is good. I think this is enough to talk about. It might be too much to talk about, but if, but if any of this sounds like fun, let's just have a, a fun nerd conversation where we list off our favorite moments. Now to get started, uh, I want to throw shout out to one of the moments that I know would be in a top 10. Like if I had to if I had to set these down and do only 10, this would be in there and I would imagine it'd be at least in the top 5. And it's what inspired this entire conversation. A few days ago, we got the latest trailer for the next uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I think it's Across the Spider-Verse, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, whatever it's called. Uh, no, is that the first one? Now I have to look up because I don't want to... The, the first movie has such a unique title, I don't want to fuck it up. But it comes to us 
from the prequel film to that. What the hell is it? Enter the Spider-Verse? Oh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. See, too many different uh, verbs or whatever. So it's from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. And I think, again, if I was doing like a top list of comic book films, this would be in the top five as well. It's the scene that we lovingly call, What's Up, Danger?, It's the scene where Miles Morales finally embraces his destiny uh, since the Peter Parker Spider-Man variant of his Earth is dead and he's been on all of his little adventures with his Spider-Man multiverse friends. His Uncle Aaron the Prowler has died and basically given him the great responsibility speech or a version of it. He climbs a building at the top of their version of New York City. The badass fucking song, What's Up Danger, plays. And fucking Miles Morales swings across the city. You get the amazing upside-down shot. I love this scene. This gets you going every time you watch it. I don't fucking care. And uh, I'm so glad that an animated fucking comic book movie like has all these accolades praised onto it. It just goes to show that you know you can't you can't dismay things because it doesn't fit into a mold that you want it to. Like, yeah, I think this would be an awesome live-action film, but I think being animated is perfect. An amazing voice cast is also a lot easier to assemble a big-ass voice cast when you don't have to be in Atlanta for six months to shoot something. So an absolute standout cast. This isn't about the movie. It's just the moment. I'm sorry, but that's how these conversations get with me. Definitely What's Up Dangerous smashes with the... uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales comic book cover at the end, complete with Brian Bendis being uh, quoted on it. My only, I guess, regret is that it doesn't say the ultimate Spider-Man, which you don't have to really confuse your audience, but given that he's the last Spider-Man of this universe, I think ultimate Spider-Man is fitting, but I could watch the What's Up Dangerous scene a thousand times, and I probably will. Next up, uh, and you know, there's no order to these things. Like I said, it was a brainstorm. So I started with What's Up Danger, and then I guess Spider-Man must have been on the mind because he shows up next, and then he doesn't show up again until the end. Go figure. Start and end, I guess. Because I'm not like a massive Spider-Man fan. I like Spider-Man. It's fine. got no problems. This might be a random one, and you might throw shade because, uh, uh, you know, of who the Spider-Man is fighting. So let's explain. The next up is a scene that I lovingly call, Hey there, Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, a movie that, yes, isn't the greatest. It's got really good stuff going for it. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone radiate heat off the screen. Even I get horny watching them get horny for each other. I'm kidding. But it is nice to... They have such good chemistry. I mean, obviously, they dated for, like, an eternity. Um, but it's it's like watching two people that are actually in love act like they're in love, and therefore it makes it feel real. It's kind of cool. Um... And it's not even Gwen's death scene. After, as Peter Parker, Andrew Garfield, the best Spider-Man of all time, regardless of the quality of his films, uh, is grieving for Gwen. He's finally ready to get back in the swig of things. Uh, this is the big fun of me part. The Rhino! Paul Giamatti's ridiculous The Rhino is attacking New York City. This little kid dressed as Spider-Man tries to defend the city against him because Spider-Man's been gone. Spider-Man shows up. He says, hey, there's Spider-Man. And it's just so nice to see Andrew... Like, back after grieving for Gwen, uh, you know, he gives the kid some, you know, he's like, oh, man, you're so fucking brave. Like, go back, but go back to your mom. I'm, I'm here now. And he, and he sort of fits into his friendly neighborhood mold. He gets the uh, back of He's like, on behalf of real Rhinos everywhere. And Rhinos like, ah, ha, ha, I kill you. And 
you want me to come down there? Yes, I'll be right there. And then he he swings, he grabs the manhole cover, he swings it, the movie ends, the Spider-Man logo. They shouldn't have given away the final shot of the movie in the trailer, but here's what really sinks it all together for me. The Hans Zimmer score. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 has a pretty badass score. It's a little out there sometimes with the he shot at me, he hates at me. But but the the Spider-Man theme or Spider-Man march that Hans Zimmer created for The Amazing Spider-Man is great. Amazing Spider-Man is so unique. There's only two movies. Each movie is scored by a different composer and each one created a badass Spider-Man theme. But this is the like heroic bum 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 and the piano's like like I just I just love the score and then it and then it hits black hard and the Spider-Man logo fades in and 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 the and Hans Zimmer's fucking having a musical orgasm. I just love it. I it does it for me every fucking time. Traveling back in time to 1989. Bottom man. Bottom man. I I didn't want to talk about the entire museum painting sequence from Batman 89, but uh, Vicky Vale is in the clutches of the Joker here at the museum. Uh, he she throws water on him. He acts like he's melting. I'm melting. He's really applying his Joker makeup. Boo. <laughs> and then. Psh- the glass breaks. Danny Elfman. Bum, 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 bum. Batman has the massive grappling hook. He points at the Joker's face. And Joker's like, oh, shit, I'm about to die. You know, but Batman actually shoots the hook into the wall. Hold on. And they they fly across the museum. He kicks open the door. Batman and Vicky are safe. Where does he get those wonderful toys? I mean, it was a big trailer line. It's iconic. There's a lot more to Batman 89, and specifically this sequence that rules, but putting using the line of where does he get those wonderful toys as sort of a guidepost, I figured we'd all understand what I'm talking about. Sticky with Batman 89, and it's so hard to narrow the classics down to just one moment. And it's funny how much of these are centered around the scores of the film. I apologize, but the pattern I can already see developing in my mind. Uh, the conclusion of Batman 89... How do we call him? He gave us a signal. <laughs> Throws on the bat signal. The camera pans up. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. You know, and, and, and it's Tim Burton's amazing model, gothic Gotham City. And we see the Batman perched on the tallest fucking beam of the city, staring into the bat signal. Danny Elfman bangs on some metal shit. Bong. Bong, bong, bong. But then as it fades out, we get the sort of eerie bong, 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 bong. Like, we're not done yet. We're just getting started. God, I love the ending of Batman 89. It's so fucking good. Sticking with Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, Batman Returns, a lot of great moments to choose from, and I'm not just like going in order, but like I said, it was a brainstorming session. Uh, The Penguin and the Batman finally talk. Batman's like, what are you doing here, Penguin? Penguin's like, well, you know, uh, taking, uh, you know, what's he say? He's like, uh, taking a toll of the carnage, uh, you know, seeing what's going on, basic mayoral stuff. You're not the mayor. 
things change. You don't really think you'll win, do you? All of a sudden, Catwoman backflips, backflip, 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 pause, spike the camera, meow, big building explodes. I saw her first, she's mine, gotta fly. Penguin turns his umbrella into a helicopter. It's the most insane Batman return. Well, actually, I don't want to say that, but it's so Batman returns. Batman and the Penguin arguing about something that's not too... Like, they have kind of a weak connection. They don't have a lot of interaction. So they're kind of hanging here by a thread. But it's like, finally, we've got them face-to-face in costume because Danny DeVito's finally in, like, the most Penguin version of his Penguin outfit you're ever going to get. Catwoman's here. She blows up Max Shrek's building. She says, meow. We get the helicopter. I don't know what to tell you, man. It's a badass scene. I got... Lots of love for it. The Batman train continues along here on a straight path, although we're moving into the future for The Dark Knight. You know, it's a good movie. Like, really good. And, um, you know, in order to keep the list concise and everything, I tried to really narrow things down, as I mentioned with the first Batman. So I'm going with the interrogation scene where the Batman finally comes face-to-face with the Joker, things slow down for a second, and we just have a conversation. Don't talk like you're one of them. You're not one of them. You know, that whole thing. I don't want to kill you! That whole thing. Um, It's a great scene that raises to a natural climax and conclusion when the Joker reveals that he has Rachel and Harvey Dent. I mean, it's a great play on the Batman-Joker dynamic. I mean, we... You know, when you're watching that movie, you're like, when are they going to talk? When are they going to talk? And then they talk, and it's so rewarding. Just, uh, it's an acting craft class, basically. I mean, poor Christian Bale's in that getup. Heath Ledger's got all that shit kicked on his face. It's probably easier to do that. But uh, it's just, it's a tremendous scene. Uh, That whole movie belongs in a museum. Up next, from its sequel, The Dark Knight Rises... I don't think it's going to come as a surprise to anybody because I love to do his voice. And uh, we talked on my uh, cinematic shit takes or uh, unpopular movie opinions. I think that was the first ever episode of Top Man that I'm sort of secretly in love with The Dark Knight Rises more than The Dark Knight. So I've got two scenes from this film. Up first, the nightfall scene. The scene where Batman and Catwoman fight down to the sewers of Gotham City and uh, once again... Hans Zimmer's bum, bum, ba-bum, bum, ba-bum, bum, ba-bum, bum. But it's more importantly, when they get, when the when Bruce gets face-to-face with Bane, and there is no more score. The entire sequence, once Batman walks through that little door and Catwoman locks it, and Bane walks out of the shadows, oh, we are initiated, Bruce, members of the League of Shadows, up until Bane breaking Batman's back. Wow. You know, growing up as a kidster, it's so hard to get comic books in the 90s. I've talked about this before. I had a Death of Superman book, previously unrevealed. I had a book called Batman Nightfall. Read that shit cover to cover multiple times. Uh, it, It was a nice, concise, you know, novel of the entire Batman Nightfall story. And to see it realized up on film was, as the kidsters in the 60s said... The bee's knees. Plus, it's a great Tom Hardy performance. That guy's able to get so much out of this performance. Just using his eyes and his head. The top of his head, basically. Sure, the voice adds a lot to it. But, I love it. 
coming again from the dark night rises. It's a sad one, kiddos. Get your tissues out. The scene where Talia al Ghul says, My father's work is complete. Ah, I'm kidding. It's not. I, although I don't have a problem with that scene. I think the internet does. No, it's um the finale of The Dark Knight Rises. Not the punching. I'm talking about once uh, Batman flies that... <laughs> Sometimes you can't just find a way to get rid of a bomb. Once Batman flies that bomb over Gotham Harbor... Uh, and we go, you know, it's a it's a combination of things. It's it's Robin getting the keys to the Batcave. It's Alfred uh, at Bruce's funeral. I filed you. I filed you. But it's also Commissioner Gordon reading that badass passage from A Tale of Two Cities. Um, I don't know. I still kind of wish they would have killed Batman, but that's just me. Um, I just love it, though. It wraps everything up so nicely. It's so, it's a little fast-moving. Uh, it could even slow down and show me more, but it's just such a great climax, a uh, great way to go out with a big bang. It ends with, you know, Nightwing or Robin rising up to claim the mantle of the Batman. I, I just fucking love that little thing, man. It, 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 it really does it for me. Now... We're going to go back in time and switch brands completely. What? You want to switch brands? You can't just switch from DC to Marvel. There has to be a trade of some sort. We'll announce it on WWE.com. No, it's going back to Marvel for a little bit of early love. X2, X-Men United. You should have killed me when you had the chance! There's nothing for you that way, Wolverine! Uh, but... X-Men United is probably the best X-Men movie. I know some of the... Uh, Days of Future Past and First Class are both really good as well. Uh, I don't know. First Class might be... You know, I don't know. X. All I know is this. I saw X-Men five times in the theater. I, I was waiting my entire life at the time for X-Men to come out. And it was only an hour and 45 minutes. I needed more. There was hardly... And I'm not trying to talk shit about it. It's just in retrospect. You know, the budget's low. They weren't ready. Really? ready to take a risk financially. X-Men United is all of the awesome things about a sequel when they fire successfully. Usually a sequel means more money, more cast, more characters, uh, bigger ideas, and more action, but also shoddy execution. X-Men United is the exact opposite of that. And it starts with a bang when the Nightcrawler attacks the President of the United States in the White House using his BAMF, 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 teleporting, including a sweet Matrix ripoff BAMF kick, kick, kick toss that he does in super slow motion, which, sure, was all over the place at the time, but, man, I fucking love it. Alan Cumming is a great Nightcrawler. Pity he never got to come back and do anything, uh, but I guess that makeup was a bitch. Um, although the the guy that played Nightcrawler in the two uh, latter sequels is good, too. <laughs> Jesus, especially, you know, uh, unscripted here. How about that scene in Dark Phoenix? Well, you know what? And I never said spoilers. I'm so sorry. Spoilers for any title. I, I will try moving forward to say the title of a film before I fucking get into the spoilers in case you want to fast forward. My bad. So spoilers for Dark Phoenix. When Nightcrawler goes into berserker mode and kills all those fucking aliens at the ending. He's like, no, I'm finally pissed off. I don't, I renounce you, Jesus. <laughs> Let Jesus fuck you. I'm Nightcrawler. And, and he, he fucking kills a lot of people. But I do love the opening of X-Men United. All right, spoilers for Superman, the motion picture. Um, Just the entire opening of Superman, the motion picture. 
starting with uh, the black and white prologue of the Daily Planet, a metropolitan newspaper dedicated to civil justice, to the bum ba bum bum I mean, these opening credits had to blow you away. My, I know my parents have told me stories, and they're really in the music as well, ironically, I suppose. And, uh, you know, my mom specifically, who's not like a, a film junkie or anything, but she is a big music junkie, you know, telling me, and, and I have asked her to ex- explain to me how she felt when her and my dad went on a date to see Superman in 78. And, you know, she said it was an overwhelming experience having the credits fly forward at you and then hearing the the John Williams score for the first time. I mean, it's ew, it's top-notch. And just the feeling like, oh, my God, I'm about to watch something very special. And it's capped off with the awesome uh, journey into uh, Krypton with the awesome uh, The Planet Krypton theme by John Williams. And then, I guess the, the so the sequence I'm talking about is the black and white beginning with the Daily Planet up until when the Krypton, when they actually, we actually hear people on Krypton talk, uh, specifically I think Marlon Brando. Nothing wrong with Marlon Brando, or he doesn't ruin the movie when he starts talking or anything, but the sequence I want to point out is basically the first five, six minutes of just music and words. Beautiful. Continuing along with Superman the Motion Picture... How sad is it when Pa Kent dies, huh? Uh, yeah, you, I believe you were sent here for a reason. I don't know the reason. Somebody's reason. And he, Pa Kent gives Clark, you know, sort of a necessary teenager alien pep talk. Uh, Clark wants to race to the barn. Ah, uh, instant heart attack. He dies right there. We go to his funeral. All those things I could do, all those powers, I couldn't even save him. And, of course, John Williams' score. Uh, I think it's Leaving Home is what it's called. And then he, he finds the crystal and then tells his mom he has to leave. They share a big hug in the cornfield. It's like Americana, like fucking pure goodness. Oh, man, I just fucking love that sequence. I mean, the movie's great. I, I just, that one always hits me. Um, it's a much better, and, and I've been on record so much talking about how I love the Zack Snyder DC universe. Remember, it's just the DC films. I'm not like a Snyder cultist. He's not God's gift to film, okay? I much prefer Paul Kent dying this way as opposed to Kevin Costner getting sucked up in a tornado. Now, I understand the thematic need. You know, and it's interesting, too, because if you think about it, Pa Kent's death services a different master or a different need in each film. Here, it's to let Clark know what he can and can't do. And then, of course, he blows right past that at the ending when he turns back time to rescue Lois Lane. Here, in Man of Steel, uh, Kevin Costner lets himself die because of his fear for Clark revealing himself to the world. And, of course, what happens? Clark gets revealed to the world as the Superman, and Kryptonians invade, and there's a giant war metropolis, and thousands of people die. So, I, I like that they serve different points. I just prefer the execution in Dick Donner's Superman the Motion Picture. Uh, up next, often called the father of comic book movies. The modern era, anyway. Spoilers for Blade! Specifically, the fucking vampire rave. We thought that to see them, we showed them what you mean to me. 
Uh, the Vampire Ray fucking rules. I love that song. I love the way it's shot. I love when the fucking jackass who's not a vampire bumps into Steven Dorff's Deacon Frost, and Frost is like, did you just fucking touch me? And the camera sort of follows him. Uh, you know, and of course, Blade shows up, the bloodbath. It's just a great way to start that movie, man. That's a movie I haven't watched in a long time. I think I might watch it tonight now because I'm so psyched after just talking about the scene. So that should tell you it absolutely belongs on the list. Also, spanning out of Blade, believe it or not, I've always been a sucker for the moment where Deacon Frost... Uh, I just... I'm going to die on this hill, okay? I thought Steven Dorff was going to be huge. I loved his performance as Deacon Frost. I thought he was badass. And man, I was like, you just wait. Steven Dorff is going to rule the world in Hollywood. It didn't come to pass. I did work at a video store, though, that had a sweet Blade standee. And I it had interconnecting parts. Like, it had Blade in the middle. And then it's like Chris Christopherson on the side. Steven Dorff's head on the side. I stole the Steven Dorff uh, and hung it on my bedroom wall. That sounds kind of creepy. Uh, you know, like I was going to fucking hunt him down. And, and, and I mean, the internet was a thing. Now I'm going to hunt him down and bag him up like the Guardians of the Galaxy do to Kevin Bacon. Steven, I love you. Uh, but it's the part where he talks to Blade in the park. And Blade... He, he talks shit about his mom, and Blade's had enough. He pulls out his giant fucking silver bullet shooter, and Steven Dorff, Shades of the Matrix, dodges the bullets. I love it! Early bullet dodging, this predates the Matrix even. Now, I'm not saying they stole it or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's a badass seed that's always living with me rent-free. Spoilers for the Avengers! I mean, who hasn't seen the Avengers, though? Now... You know that we had to get to the MCU eventually. Um, there's not a ton of MCU, ironically, because I feel like the big moments, like the real big moments, are so hard to recall off the top of my head, except for those four Avengers films. And that's the problem with the MCU in general, where we've gotten to. It's reached such a fever pitch in terms of the Avengers films feel so big, everything else, even though some of it's very enjoyable, feels so small. That first Avengers film, I mean, it's the circle shot. Duh. Where the Avengers are finally united on the streets of New York, surrounded by the Chitauri, and the camera spins around them. We all know that. But that's not the only scene from the Avengers. How about later? Uh, it, there's this amazing sequence where we get to see the camera follows every Avenger, and we see them in action. Like Black Widow's sky surfing on a chariot. Uh, Hawkeye shoots an arrow. Thor and the Hulk are riding on one of the Leviathans. Oh, no, that's the end scene. Uh, Scarlet... Uh, God, I always said Scarlet Witch. Black Widow flies across the screen. Iron Man flies. And then... This is it. This is huge. Captain America and Iron Man do a fucking combo. C-c-c-combo! There ain't no combo breakers. It's all a combo. Ultra Combo! Anybody else play Killer Instinct and just yell combo even when you are just walking down the street? Well, I do, so what's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with me. But Iron Man shoots his repulsor rays off of the shield and it bounces off and hits a Chitauri. Also a move from Marvel's Ultimate Alliance, which I played for the PlayStation 2. I love that shit. And then the camera follows. We see Hawkeye shoot an arrow, and then the arrow lands in a Leviathan, which are those fucking worm snake things in the sky. And Thor and Hulk kill the Leviathan, and then you get the Hulk punching Thor moment, uh, which was pretty popular. Um, that is some good shit. Uh, still in the MCU, spoilers for Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, 
This is a, such a great movie. Probably still my favorite MCU movie that doesn't start with the word Avengers. Um, but the scene specifically where they are driving on the highway and the Winter Soldier jumps on their car, rips off the door, throws Jasper Sitwell out, and then they fight on the bridge. It's basically the scene that culminates with Bucky and Cap fighting for the first time. You know, fucking Sebastian Stan's doing the knife twirling. Um... He looks like a badass with the mask on. The score's pretty intense. It dips and drops. You hear the Winter Soldier theme. Falcon's there. Uh, It's just a badass scene. There's that amazing shot where Cap is in, like, his street gear, but he has the shield, and Bucky punches, but Cap blocks it with the shield, and he's like, Bucky? I mean... It's really sort of one of the emo- like the, one of the first big emotional peaks. I like the elevator scene too, of course, but I'm going to stick with the bridge scene. You know what? Let's stick with the MCU. Black Panther. Killmonger's death scene. I mean, do I really really have to go into that much detail? It's um it hits pretty hard, man. Uh it, Fucking Michael B. Jordan's great in that whole movie. Uh, if you don't doubt me, listen to my... Oh, spoilers for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Listen to my Black Panther Wakanda Forever review over on the North-South Connection Podcast Network where I wax poetic about how awesome he is even in that one little scene and sort of went on a rant, but it, a good rant, about how uh, awesome he was in this movie. Sticking with the MCU, now we're in more Avengers territory. Specifically... In Avengers Infinity War and sticking with Wakanda, I mean, Black Panther yelling, Wakanda forever! And then running at the army. It's just the subtle detail here, though. I love how, and this is one of the best parts about the MCU, is that regardless of doing nerdy fan service uh, that's straight coming at your face, there's also like some subtle nerdy shit coming at you. Like, in this battle, when the entire Wakandan military and an assembled group of superheroes is running at the army of Outriders and uh, the Call Obsidian. No, is that what they're called? The Call Obsidian? It doesn't matter. Uh, when they're running at the other army, Black Panther and Captain America, you know, get ahead of everybody else because they're both enhanced. One with the heart-shaped herb, one with the super soldier serum. It's just, it's absolutely the right thing. I'm glad somebody caught it. I hope it was a director's choice and not some VFX guy was like, um, this feels wrong. We should probably fix it like this. Um, but I just love it. I love it a lot. Now we're in the end game, folks. Avengers Endgame. If you haven't seen it, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, we actually have, let's see, one, two... Uh, three, four, five, six moments from Avengers Endgame. The first is subtle and very quick. Captain America traveled back in time to get the stones. He gets into the elevator with Hydra, which is actually S.H.I.E.L.D., and he just subverts all of our expectations by whispering, Hail Hydra. It's a great shout-out to the fucking uh, Secret Empire comic, but it's also a great subversion of our expectations because, you know... The elevator fight from Captain America Civil War. The next one is a memorable moment, and, and, and I'm not making fun of it, okay? I'm not. The performance is fine, but it it makes me laugh every time. Not laugh in a bad way, but it just makes me smile and be like, oh my god, I love this. Um, after Black Widow has sacrificed herself, everybody's sad. And I don't remember who it is. It's like, we could just get the stones and zap her back into existence. And, and the Hulk's like, uh, uh, no, no, I remember what it is. Thor, Thor's talking to Hawkeye and Hulk's there. They're all mad. Hulk throws like a fucking bench into the water. 
And Thor's like, uh, uh, no, no, well, this is easy. We'll just snap it back. And Hawk is like, it can't be undone. Nonsense. We have the stones. We can make the wish and do whatever we want. It can't be undone. Well, I don't know, Hawkeye. I think you're being a bit indignant. You know what? You grab your hammer. You fly up there and you talk to him. You grab your hammer and you go. I just fucking love the way he says, you get your hammer and you go. Ah, kill me. Fuck me. What do you want from me? Um, I mean, if it was on a numeric list, even though I would hate to be so obvious, it would have to be in the top probably one or two. A symbol. I mean, Jesus, that whole portal sequence. I mean, do I really have to explain it? I'll put it this way, all right? During the height of the COVID pandemic, on days when I was, like, bummed out, stuck in my house, I would go to YouTube and watch theater reaction videos of people watching the portal scene for the first time to not only cheer me up, but also make me think someday I might get back to the movies. So that's all the explanation I feel is needed. Okay, a little bit more. He said Avengers Assemble! Howard the Duck was there! Yeah! Still, in the Avengers Endgame world, the scene where Scarlet Witch gets to confront Thanos during the big battle, and she says, very pissed off, I might add, you took everything from me. I don't even know who you are. You will. I mean, obviously, Scarlet Witch... She had him. I forget what happens. Probably something explodes. But she had him. Um, and finally, I think this is five. Maybe I miscounted. I, I, whatever. I didn't major in math. The funeral for Tony Stark. Everybody's there. The Alan Silvestri score is very emotional. Like that song. Like that little theme that plays. It, it, it pulls at me every time. Um, sure, Doctor Strange looks like he was added in post-production. Looks like they glued... Benedict Cumberbatch's head onto a, a, a body. But everybody else pretty much pulls it off there. Uh, I've heard, pray tell, that was like the hardest sh- uh, scene to film in any Marvel movie ever. Uh, just because it required all those famous people being in one place at one time. So, there you go. But uh, it's it, it does what it should do, though, more importantly. You know, uh, getting away from the jokey jokies for a second. You know, it shows you what Iron Man created. And it shows you that the sacrifice that he's given to the planet was worth it. Because now, Earth's and the galaxy's mightiest heroes are united. And you know, it always kind of bums me out. When that thing came out on Blu-ray, you know, they had the... I don't know if you've seen the deleted scene where the Avengers, like, kneel for Tony Stark on the battlefield after he dies. Even Black Panther... And, and that's always the one that gets me. It's like uh, Hawkeye kneels and some other people kneel and then T'Challa kneels as well. And it's like, oh, you're the king. I don't know. It, it's a great scene. I can do with it in or with it out, but kind of chokes me up even now. Okay, well, not right now, but maybe if I were in a really sad mood and I were to watch it, it might choke me up. But, you know, Avengers Endgame, so many moments, and rightfully so. If it didn't have any moments, that'd be an entire podcast in itself because they it would have mean it would have meant... I just learned English, too. It would have meant that they failed, and they failed hard. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue our discussion, but I feel as if I have to pause for just a moment and have a little unplanned discussion 
with all of you. See, spoiler alert, if you want to peek behind the curtain here, I don't always record all my shows in one sitting session, okay? Sometimes you got to take a break. Sometimes life gets in the way. But sometimes that affords us a unique opportunity. Since I last spoke to you, uh, it's been just a matter of seconds, but it's actually perhaps been a matter of days. And since the next portion of my list of awesome moments mostly comes from the DC Extended Universe, I think it's time to pause and just have a conversation because there have been revelations about the DCEU, our friends Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, uh, allegedly Ezra Miller and Ray Fisher and Margot Robbie, John Cena, you know, all of them, okay, all of them. And, uh, Folks, the DCEU is no more. James Gunn, the new head of DC Studios, has announced they're just they're starting over. And poor Henry Cavill uh, quit his job and then got, I don't want to say fired, but then uh, they decided to go another direction. So he's uh, caught with his dick in his hand. And, and while that's not cool, it's not cool that Warner Brothers told Henry Cavill one thing and not another. You know, that's I'm not making light of that. Um, I think he'll be okay. But here's the thing. It is time to let it go. I say this, as you are all aware, a card-carrying member of a fan of that version of the Justice League, those films that contain those actors, most of them are, are, are amazing, some of them not. Wonder Woman 1984. Anywho, I just it's time to let it go, guys. It hasn't been successful. It hasn't been critically successful. It hasn't been financially successful. It's been personally successful. Um... Those of us who have enjoyed it, you know, for better or worse, seem to be very passionate about it. Some in positive ways, some in negative ways, and some you just never even know about it. And if nothing else, it's been too divisive as well. After all, these things exist to make money. Um, and that's beyond our control. I do think that moving forward, you know, there's going to be artistic integrity. So it's not as if we're losing that. But it's just time to let it go, guys. Let the DCEU go. And we can sort of treat this as a uh, last-minute celebration of what they uh, gave us. Okay? So just calm the fuck down, please. There is so much else to worry about in this world. So, from Man of Steel, spoilers for Man of Steel, we've got the scene where Kal-El kills General Zod. Starting with maybe one of the most divisive things in the DCEU of all time. And I'm not just going to sit here and say that it's an awesome moment to try to glorify it because it's like, oh man, that's violence and it's hardcore. No, come on, relax. It's just, it is such a, it is such a moment that it stands out in so many different ways. Now, I know it stands out as negative to a lot of people, and I understand where you're coming from, but Superman making that choice on the big screen and having the reaction that he does, letting you know that it's not done willy-nilly, it was a big moment to say that these are flawed versions of these heroes, very New 52-esque in my opinion, and, and we're going to go on a journey with them that will eventually get them to where you think they're going to be in your head. Um, now, it took three movies to get there for Superman to get how, quote-unquote, society sees him in their head in terms of, like, the altruistic cats out of trees, no, don't harm a flea, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that version of Superman. 
It's not the Superman I wanted to see, and that's why I was so pleased to get the three. And that rhymed, and I didn't mean it to. Uh, so that's one of the reasons it, stand out, it stands out to me. It sets the tone that this is not the Superman that you're expecting. Now, from Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the beautiful lie sequence with the amazing Hans Zimmer score. And yes, it does involve seeing Bruce Wayne's parents get killed yet again. Those poor folks cannot catch a break. But you know, it's necessary, I feel like, in order to... Uh, I don't... It, it's not violence for violence sake, but this version of Bruce Wayne that we're about to meet is very, very traumatized. And they definitely want to get the point across that that's the case. And they really lead into it heavy. They don't shy away from the violence that it's Martha Wayne taking a bullet to the face. They don't shy away from the pearls, which, yes, is a big Frank Miller thing. Uh, the score is amazing. Uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan is a badass Thomas Wayne. When are we going to get that Flashpoint Batman Thomas Wayne movie? I think that'd be a lot of fun. It's never going to happen. Um and then, of course, uh, something that I hated upon first viewing, first viewing, you know, when the bats uh, swarm around Bruce and he sort of floats up to the sky, it's not until I caught that Ben Affleck says, in the dream, they took me uh, in the dream. Damn it, fuck. Oh, it's in the dream, they took me to the light. A beautiful lie. Uh, meaning that what we're seeing is actually a dream that Bruce is having and uh, not actual bats hovering him. But, you know, it, it sort of lets us know that he, he was always sort of delusional. That what he was doing was a positive thing or a good thing in terms of his personal psyche. And it just wasn't. Still, in the realm of DC Comics, and honestly in the same fucking movie, must there be a Superman. A tremendous montage that I might add starts with Batman, Bruce Wayne, in Lex Luthor's house, telling Mercy Graves, I love those shoes! But Superman flies off and rescues some folks during the Day of the Dead celebration. And then we see him around the world completing some Herculean-esque tasks. Like he's some sort of a god that walks amongst men. While pundits and politicians argue about what Superman should be allowed to do. We see some great shots of folks pleading with the Superman to rescue them. It's a nice outlook uh of a world that has a Superman that doesn't know how to deal with the Superman, which is my favorite type of world, by the way. Uh, you know, back in the 70s, uh, when Superman showed up in Metropolis, everybody was like, Hey, Superman, I love you. Hey, you want to ride my taxi cab? Because it's New York City, which is fine. But now it's like, Hey, Superman, get your fucking hands out of my country. Get out of my country, Superman. You're an abomination to Jeebus. Get I don't want any of your kind around here, Superman. Hey, you wearing that cape in here, boy? All right, that, that's not cool. I don't know. It's just, it's a really good scene. It, it, it hits me pretty hard, as you could probably tell, because I'm, I'm fucking drooling all over it. Next up, final sequence from the same film. The death of Superman and the funeral for a friend. God, I love seeing the death of Superman happen on the big screen, finally. I love seeing Batman and Wonder Woman have to carry his corpse, give it to Lois Lane. I love that shot of Batman stepping out of the, like, flames and debris, looking really depressed. Like, more depressed than he usually does. Uh, the funeral sequence is very emotional. It gets me every time. I love how they throw shade at Wonder Woman and uh, Bruce Wayne throw shade 
at humans. Even though Bruce Wayne is a human, it's more so much throwing shade at the government. You know, Wonder Woman's like, they're honoring him as a soldier. It's all they know how to do. And it's like, yeah, that is all they know how to do. They just treat him like a soldier. They, they wrap up a flag. They do get the sweet bagpipe rendition of Amazing Grace, which I'm a sucker for at a funeral. It makes me feel human. That is a Star Trek Two joke for everybody out there. Uh, but it's a great scene. I'm a big fan of the Death of Superman storyline. All we're missing is a big group of superheroes there, but I guess the metahumans weren't really do, uh, really ready to cohabitate and co-mingle together in such a public setting in the DC universe at this point in time. But we do get the juxtaposition of the funeral for Superman versus the funeral for Clark Kent. I don't know. It's great. I love that Bruce Wayne's at Clark Kent's funeral. I love that he pays for it out of nowhere at the end, uh, you know, anonymously. Lois Lane gets her engagement ring. It's a strong hitting finish. And, uh, you know, at first it was overwhelming to just have the death of Superman. But on repeat viewings, I really appreciate how it juxtaposes Clark versus Cal and and what they meant to people and what have you. I don't know. It's It's a good downer ending, like the middle part of a trilogy is supposed to have. And then the little the little teaser at the end. Why is Superman's casket shaking? Why? Is there some sort of anti-gravity field affecting the dirt? You know, we never learn. But I think it's just tried to say there's still some latent solar energy in there that's ripe to be reactivated and reconfigured. Perhaps if we could find a mother box. Speaking of mother boxes, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the only Justice League that exists. Look, it's a four-hour movie. I could pull a lot of things. I'm just going to mention one. I t- I've talked about these movies. I feel bad even making you get to you guys listen to me talking about these films again. But I didn't. I don't think I've ever talked about the speed of force sequence when Darkseid and um, Steppenwolf win in the end, and the Flash has to uh, run into the Speed Force and turn back time to resurrect everyone so the good guys can win. And uh, they play pretty much the most badass junky XL music you've ever heard. Uh, that doesn't make it sound good. And like everything reforms. This was just... God damn, man. This movie came out. It was a fucking COVID lockdown gift. It. I've been... I, I never thought I would see the Snyder Cut, man. And it's not even that it's like Citizen Kane. It's just that the 2017 Justice League was such a letdown and such a heartbreaker in every way, shape, and form. It destroyed. That sounds like it. That sounds like I took it really hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't come home and like cry myself to sleep. But like, I enjoyed the first two so much. And the biggest problem was it wasn't even that the movie was shit. It was that the movie betrayed the first two by characterizing everyone so differently. It felt like Frankenstein's monster. I mean, it was. And so we're sitting here in the thralls of COVID, depressed. The Snyder Cut is here. And we get this amazing, amazing concept of the Flash turning back time to make everything good again. Something we all kind of wanted to do in our collective consciousness, I feel like. And uh, it hits me hard. And every time I watch it, I think of the first time I saw it and me just fucking like, Oh my God, it's so good. I'm I'm so moved. I mean, it wasn't that bad. 
I, I love I love a good tear up in a movie. Ah, that's that's what I fucking paid for. Move me, do something. The real world ain't giving me shit. Show me something that to, that moves me. But I do love that scene, and I will stop talking about Zack Snyder directed films. But we're still in the DC universe with Aquaman. Yeah. Another great score, mind you. But you know what I love about the Aquaman movie? Jason Momoa is somewhat infectious. He's He would have never been my first choice to play Arthur. Not even fucking close. Huge fan of Aquaman. Uh, but where I want to start with the Aquaman... Oh, what I was going to say is it's also like Final Fantasy underwater. Like when we finally get to Atlantis, the vision of Atlantis is awesome. Um, it, it feels like magic, technology, like everything's there. It's Final Fantasy underwater. But the first moment that's amazing is the trench dive. When Mara and Arthur are looking for the hidden kingdom, the lost kingdom. Well, it's not the lost kingdom. It's the hidden t- uh, hidden kingdom. They have to go through the kingdom of the trench to get there. The trench, a group of carnivorous fish monsters that uh, live in the Mariana Trench, uh, created by Jeff Johns, introduced in the first issue of Aquaman's New 52 reboot. And James Wan, man. There's a reason he's a horror film director. He shot the trench like they were goddamn slashers. And the shot where they shoot the flare and then they dive. And you see Aquaman and Mera diving as the trench sort of scurry away like bees or insects from their flare. And the camera's underwater. I mean, you know what shot I'm talking about. If you've seen Aquaman, there's no way you don't know what shot I'm talking about. It is a thing of beauty. All comic book movie bias and Aquaman bias thrown out the window. You have to admire that shot. This next one makes me feel like an old softy, but I don't really care. It also comes from Aquaman. During the final battle, when the combined forces of Zebel, Atlantis, the Fisherman Kingdom uh, take on the Kingdom of the Brine, Aquaman returns to show he's the goddamn king of the undersea uh, area. King of the Oceans probably sounded better, but uh, I don't do believe in second takes. So Aquaman shows up riding the uh, Sound of Music Beast, voiced by Julie Andrews. I forget what it's called. And uh, he does the call. He summons aquatic, aqua, aquatic life to come join the battle. And God help me. Like, I... You know, when you think about Aquaman, it's like, yeah, he can telepathically communicate with aquatic life and the old gag of you talk to fish and all that shit god so help me they made it look so badass when he summons all of these creatures and animals to fight in the battle and he's standing atop this basically underwater dragon while he's doing it and it's just badass and you know the they play the bum which is aquaman's theme rupert gregson wilson or yeah is that his name? I, it doesn't matter, but well done, sir. Well done, indeed. Uh, the next moment comes just a few seconds later for the Aqua Kiss. This is what makes me a softy. Uh, but I forgot it came second, so shoot me. Aquaman and Mera, mid-battle, have to separate. Aquaman needs to go fight Ocean Master. Mera's going to act as a diversion and talk to fucking underwater king and slash chemist Dolph Lundgren. And they share their first aqua kiss. Everything slows down to a crawl. The the music does its little romance thing. Oh, 
Uh, we see some underwater explosions in slow motion. The camera spins 360. You know, I don't care. I like Aquaman and Mera. I love that they, they kiss in the middle of the battle. It's just the right level of ridiculous. Because the Aquaman film wears its ridiculousness on its sleeve. And that's what makes it so fun and accessible. It's lighthearted but serious at the same time. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. But it is... But it, but it does present its subject matter seriously, and I just love this kiss. It's, it's stupid. It, like I said, I'm an, old, I'm an old saw. I'm a, getting soft in my old age, but I truly do love it. And then the final moment from Aquaman comes right after when Aquaman and the Ocean Master fight on board that ship deck in the ocean in the pouring rain. The whole fight's awesome, but when Ocean Master jumps out of the water and lands on the deck of the ship, he stands up in slow motion with his cape billowing in the wind, and there's like three giant windmill spiky things behind him. He just looks so awesome. Such a good shot. Aquaman is very well shot. I don't care if you don't like it, that's fine. But we, we can't we cannot disagree on the fact that it's shot wonderfully. But that whole trident sequence is fucking awesome. Aquaman does the the move that the Green Goblin taught him and shatters Orm's uh tried it in half you know it's just awesome the final moment we're getting we're getting to the end here folks and i know that makes you sad but uh you know we'll, we'll talk about that when it's over because because i'm we'll, we'll talk about it it's the last dc movie and it's a movie that i didn't really like upon first view first viewing i'm slowly coming around to it it's a uh, uh birds of prey or Harley, or the, emancip- the emancipation of Harley Quinn and how she got her groove back and all that jazz. Um, and it's it's kind of cheating because it's not a single moment. It's a collection of moments. It's every time Black Mask and Mr. Zazz share a moment or a conversation together, okay? Black Mask and Mr. Zazz are absolutely fucking in this movie. And I love it because that's not something that... Uh, they, they deliberately say on the surface, and it's not something that I, comes from any comic I've ever read, but it, when Mr. Zaz and Black Mask yell at it, like when Black Mask yells at Mr. Zaz, it shades of that scene in uh, Zoolander when Mugatu is yelling at his assistant that brings him his coffee. I forget his name, and he's like, damn it, I ordered a no-foam latte or whatever. And Mugatu's like, huh, and the guy's like, huh. And then Mugatu's kind of sexy, like, oh, and the other guy's like, oh, yes, Jucklebeam. You know, like, it's, like, that's Mr. Zazz and Black Mask during the entirety of Birds of Prey. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's hilarious. It's so unexpected. It makes me want a prequel. Because, again, spoiler, Black Mask and Mr. Zazz both die. Big mistake, as our old friend Jack Slater would say. But I want an HBO Max prequel with Ewan McGregor, of course, reprising Black Mask. He's really good in that. And then I don't remember who played Mr. Zaz. Like, I want their, like, romantic early days where they're just fucking doing crime in, in Gotham City. Maybe there's, like, a fallen in love montage. They just, they're so good together playing off one another with this strange chemistry and tension. It just, it's one of the main things I go to to watch Birds of Prey for. Um, you know, I mean, Margot Robbie's good. They really dropped the ball on The Huntress. It's insane to me that Renee Montoya is treated as a joke because she's supposed to be the question. And, of course, Cassandra Kane is supposed to be a Batgirl. And this Cassandra Kane ain't no 
Batgirl. Last two moments coming from the same movie. Probably the last big comic book movie that entered the cultural zeitgeist. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, why, while a uh, an amazing film, didn't quite penetrate like the first one did and what have you. And so that's why I'm making this statement about this movie. Spider-Man No Way Home. I mean, this is sort of... It, it's funny to me. Like, No Way Home really feels like an old-school WrestleMania, but with a modern aesthetic... It feels like the ultimate crowd pleaser, like everything that we do is the culmination of something, or it's bringing back, you know, an old favorite. Like, oh yeah, Hulk Hogan's going to the Hall of Fame this year, so he's going to beat up Muhammad Hassan. Or, hey, Ronda Rousey and The Rock are going to, uh, you know, yell at Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. It's like all these crowd pleasing moments, but they never stop. It's as if they never stopped to have Coco Beware versus Rick Martel. Every match is a main event or every segment is an all-time WrestleMania classic. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, every moment in Spider-Man No Way Home is like that. It is amazing. But these two moments are amazing. You see what I did there? The first one is the moment where fucking... Peter 3 rips off his mask, and we do see that, yes, Andrew Garfield is here, which means Toby's coming later. But that moment, like, I talked about watching Avengers, the Avengers Assemble uh, theater reaction. I also like to watch Spider-Man No Way Home theater reactions as well, but not because we were in the COVID lockdown crisis, just because they're fun to watch. I love seeing crowds react, but, you know, when when Ned opens the portal and people see the costume, now, I'm really bad with little details. Like, the 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 Peter Parker costume in No Way Home, obviously, it's got that big, like, goldish spider type on it. But sometimes the little details elude me. So, elude me. So, even when Andrew Garfield jumps out of the portal, I'm like, oh, is that... That's not Tom Holland, is it? Because uh, the amazing Spider-Man costume in the first one really stands out out of the crowd. But... Amazing Spider-Man 2 costume kind of feels like a regular Spider-Man costume. They're both fine. But man, whenever you watch a reaction video, the crowds always, they always scream when they see this alternate Spider-Man. And they there's like a steady roar in the crowd. But whenever he rips off that mask and you see Andrew Garfield's face, the crowd always erupts. And uh, that's a feel-good moment, man. I love that shit. I love Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. Like, I think a lot of us have come out of the closet and admitted that lately, so, yeah. The next moment, same movie, as promised. Towards the end, same Spider-Man. Who didn't fucking stand... Like, I don't... I'm not a big movie theater cheerer. I will clap. Um, I will I will maybe even go, yeah! But I don't, I don't like to miss any dialogue, okay? But when... Mary Jane, or God, Mary Jane, when MJ is falling off the Statue of Liberty, Tom Holland goes to save her, and the Green Goblin stops him so he can't. When Andrew Garfield yells no and leaps and successfully saves MJ the way he couldn't save Gwen, we all know this. I don't need to explain it. Not only did I clap, I stood up and went, yes! And then I sat right back down so I wouldn't block anybody's view. Uh, And it's made all the more better by the fact that even though it's a stand-up and cheer moment, everybody quiets down immediately when MJ says, when when he says, are you okay, to MJ. 
and because we want to hear the dialogue and then she asks him if he's okay and he fucking cries but it's like a tear of joy but also like i mean we all know we all know what he's doing and it's just it's such an awesome fucking moment and it's insane when you think about the fact that it's an MCU movie that's referencing an event that takes place in Sony's Spider-Man universe from uh, a movie franchise that got canceled years ago by the investors and filmmakers because they didn't want to make any more. It's like, uh, it's like reading a comic book, man. All the, you know, a character that gets thrown on the shelf for twenty years suddenly comes back and. You know, uh, we get a reference to a storyline that nobody ever references anymore. And that's that's the magic of comics is that you can do crazy shit like that and nobody cares. Because at the end of the day, your overhead is the cost of printing a comic book. It's not a $300 million blockbuster. But here we are in this crazy age of nerd cinema where we spend $300 million to fulfill nerd fantasies. And I'll tell you what. I hope the nerd fantasies keep coming so we can keep doing stuff like this. Now, what I was teasing earlier is that even though, yes, now we're at the end of the show, if you guys like this, I'm more than happy to revisit this because there is, like I said, this was all from a rough draft of brainstorming. And once I was like, okay, I'm good, I said to myself, okay, don't do any more because these are the first things that popped into your head. And that's appropriate because you're trying to make a list of yours like your best your favorite whatever etc and if they didn't pop into my head now maybe they shouldn't be on the list but if i take more time or maybe think about smaller moments or other moments there's so many out there this is a living document i'd be more than happy to revisit this at a moment's notice with some positive feedback speaking of positive feedback we need more positive feedback for the new tnn if you feel that way about the content that's on the channel. And the only way to get that positive feedback is to review the show. Maybe reach out to me on Twitter at the Johnny C, J-O-N-N-I-E-S-E-A. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Be like, Johnny, do more Bright Man. Do more Top Man. Fuck, don't do more Star Man. I hate it. You know, just tell me something. Do more Junk Man. Tell me what you want to hear. Shoot me some ideas for topics you want to hear about. Because in the new year, I am super willing and committed to taking requests uh, just to see, you know, how it generates with the rest of the fans. You know, if somebody out there is like, God, I would love to hear your take on what's for uh, Survivor Series 99. I don't know why it popped into my head. I'd be like, well, okay, if you if you really want it, maybe somebody else does too. So uh, shoot me some ideas if you have any. If not, you're just going to have to deal with whatever comes into my head. But that being said... It's going to wrap up this edition of Top Man. Hope you enjoyed yourself. I know I did. And like I said, if any of these movies are cock full of moments. So if I missed yours, I apologize. But there's always room in the future. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. We are pop. Let's go, Spider-Mans. <laughs>